I have been told for many years that I look a lot like my dad. And uh, even when I, was, when I was a kid, people would look at me and they would say, you look so much like your dad. And, um, and, and, and from the time I was very young, that was something that I didn't want to hear. In fact, it would sometimes make me angry because uh, just quite frankly, I didn't like the way my dad looked and I didn't want to look like him, you know, but... Uh, if you know anything at all about genetics, you know that you just don't have a choice when it comes to genetics, right? And, and uh, when I was a kid, uh, one, of, one of the dreams and aspirations that I had was uh, to be a gymnast. I, I can remember in the, in the 70s watching the Olympics on TV. Any of you watching the Olympics? Yeah? And um, gymnastics was one of my favorite sports on the Olympics, you know, and, and I'd watch those men with the big muscles and they'd be doing the tricks on the bars and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, I tried, I can remember trying to do that, that vault over the, the pommel horse and, you know, just hitting myself square in the, where you don't want to hit. And, uh, you know, I just, I wasn't a gymnast. I wasn't built like a gymnast. I was built like my dad. And, and, and I would look at my dad and I would think, I am never going to look like that. You know, I want to I have this big, strong upper body. I want to have a square jaw. But I wasn't born with those genes, right? My dad has this small, uh, weak jaw and the turkey neck that hangs down below the jaw. And uh, I seem to have acquired that facial structure. I can remember looking at my dad when I was a kid and, and I, I just didn't like the big paunch that he had. My dad was never a drinker, ever. But he had a pretty good-looking beer belly, you know, and, and I thought, I will never have one of those, and now I do. I'm sporting my own, and, you know, genetics just take their course, right? And, and as much as I wish I looked like a gymnast in the Olympics, the reality is I look just like my dad, and, and some of you do too. Uh, you look like your dad, and uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning. And uh, as we launch into this next message in our summer series uh, on the names of Jesus, the name that we're going to be talking about today is the name of Jesus being the Son of God. And I want to talk to you today about what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. Uh, and, and with Jesus, you know, the truth is, uh, it's not just about genetics with him, but we are going to see that Jesus looks just like his father. In fact, he said something like that. In John 14, verse 9, the first verse that I want to read to you today, Jesus said this. In fact, would you just read this on the screen with me? Oh, we have no screen. What happened to our screen? There it is. One more, Kristen, would you please? There we go. Read this out loud with me. John 14, 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Those are the words of Jesus. Read it one more time with me, would you? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And if you're taking notes this morning, you can just write this line down very simply. Jesus looked just like his dad. Jesus looked just like his dad. Amazing thing, right? Um, I look like my dad. Many of you say that you look like your dad. Uh, Jesus looked just like his dad. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Many of you raised your hands and said you look like your dad. Uh, Many of you didn't raise your hands. Who do you look like? Do you look like your mom? Do you look like a blend between the two? I used to give my sister a hard time when we were growing up because she looked nothing like me. I've got fair pinky whitey skin, you know, and sunburn easily, and both my parents are like that. My sister has this beautiful olive skin that just tans up so beautiful like a turkey, and, uh, and... long, thick, beautiful hair. You know, my sister just didn't look like me, so I used to tell her that she was adopted, and, uh, and I'd make her cry, you know, because she didn't want to be adopted, and uh, I used to tell her that she looked like a Native American, and we must have found her on a reservation somewhere, and for whatever reason, that didn't go over very well with her. Uh, but sometimes you don't look like you're, in fact, some of you this morning are adopted. Are any of you adopted here today? Okay, we got a bunch of you. And, and I know uh, from talking with people who have been adopted into a family that is not your biological family, sometimes you struggle with this fact that you don't look like your parents, right? And, and that's tough, and you feel like you don't quite fit in because there isn't this genetic link. And, uh, and so that can be a struggle because uh, looking like your family, really, as much as I didn't want to look like my dad, The reality is I know I belong in my family, right? Because I've got that look that identifies me with him. If you're adopted into a family, sometimes it can be tough. I've shared with you before, over the years, Chris and I have adopted uh, a number of adult children into our family. And uh, we have four young men that we call sons. And I found a picture of the four of them with us. This is uh, six or seven years old, but these are our four boys, and, uh, and Moyad is, is holding his wife, who is pregnant with their first child at the time. These are four boys that we've adopted into our family, and as you can see, uh, they don't really look much like us. We've got an African-American son, a red-headed son, a Korean son, and then just a regular white bread son. And, uh, but we really do consider these guys to be sons. And in fact, uh, Moyad, the, the African-American young man and his wife, they were in Bozeman this last week and we got to spend an evening with them. And, and Moyad, from the time we asked him to be a part of our family, he's always called us mom and dad. And one of the funniest things is when we're out in public, uh, like checking out of a grocery store and we're buying something and we'll pay for it and he'll say, oh, thanks, dad. And the, the cashiers are like this, you know. Because <laughs> we don't really look like each other, you know. Uh, but adoption is a powerful thing. Adoption is a powerful thing, but it can be difficult if you don't have that look about you, right? I want us to talk a little bit about Jesus being the Son of God, and then we're going to segue into our relationship to God the Father as well. And if you've got your, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, if you know your Bible much at all, Matthew is the first gospel in the New Testament, and so it's probably about two-thirds through your Bible if you're paging through, or uh, if you use an electronic device like I am, you can find that easily. Matthew chapter 3, and uh, we're going to talk about several of the passages in Scripture where Jesus is identified as the Son of God. Now, last week, we talked about Jesus being the Son of Man. And if you remember, I shared with you that Jesus called himself the Son of Man. That was the most common name that he called himself. He didn't 
uh, choose to be called by the title of Messiah or Christ. He didn't even really choose to be called the Son of God because there was so much emotion and so much political unrest in his uh, circle of relationships whenever he would uh, be identified as any of these titles. But the Bible tells us very clearly there were times when Jesus was revealed to be the Son of God. I want to talk about some of those with you. Uh, The title Son of God is one of the most difficult names of Jesus, though, because uh, when you think about it, the term Son and that relationship, Father-Son relationship, conjures up lots of thoughts in our minds that aren't necessarily true of Jesus. For example, uh, when we talk about any one of us having a son, there's the assumption that I existed before my son existed, right? That's not true of Jesus. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus existed from time and all eternity, coexisted with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So the Father didn't pre-exist Jesus. Uh, The Father didn't have some sort of relationship with a woman in order to have Jesus be born. The Bible tells us that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't like God had relations with her in order for that to happen. So there's some differences. But what's important about the sonship of Jesus is this. It means that Jesus shares God's nature and he represents God's intentions. In in other words, Jesus looks just like his dad. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 3, take a look at this with me. Uh, This this short story in, in Matthew 3, starting at verse 13, is the story of Jesus coming to be baptized by John. And this is what it says, starting in verse 13. Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. He said this, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, so why are you coming to me? To John, it just didn't make sense because he understood Jesus was the Messiah. He understood everything about Jesus, uh, and and he, he thought maybe Jesus should be baptizing him. But Jesus said this, verse 15, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And then this is what's significant. Verse 16, if you're following along. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said this, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So there was this, I I love this picture here, and it's a little bit washed out, but you can kind of see up towards the top that that there's this dove, the Spirit of God coming to settle upon him, and then the voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father himself, who said, this is my dearly loved son. And so if you're taking notes this morning, this is what you can jot down. God recognized Jesus as his son. Now, Jesus didn't come and and walk around and start telling everybody, I'm God's son. I've been begotten by the Father. The Holy Spirit came upon my mother, and she she was a virgin. She gave birth. I'm God's son. This wasn't Jesus' M.O. But there were specific times 
when things would happen and he was revealed. This is one of those times. God spoke out loud and said, this is my son. Now, if you've still got your Bibles open, flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 8, if you would with me. Matthew chapter 8. Another situation in which Jesus is revealed to be God's son. In Matthew chapter 8, we find a different story. Uh, In fact, it's just kind of the opposite of God recognizing that he was his son. And Jesus is going around ministering and he's, he's healing people and he's teaching and all kinds of wonderful things are happening under Jesus' influence. And he gets to this region called the Gadarenes, Matthew 8 says. And there were a couple of guys hanging out in a cemetery. In fact, they were living in a seminary. And the Bible says that they were possessed of a demon. What did I say? Seminary? seminary? Oh, same thing, right? so there's these two guys possessed of a demon hanging out in a cemetery all right there we go and they're so violent and they're so full of devils that nobody can even come around them right and and so everybody's just leaving them alone they're steering clear but this is a problem in the community and so jesus goes to them And if you're following along in your Bible, verse 29, this is what it says. These two guys began screaming at Jesus. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? And so uh, Jesus comes to them, and what happens is is to the demon's horror... Jesus is going to cast them out of this man, and they beg him to be cast into a herd of pigs. And Jesus says, fine, I'll send you into the pigs. And so that's what he does. And these demons enter into the pigs, and and the Bible says that the pigs just go down this big cliff and drown in the water because of the influence of all these demons and these men, right? And and you can read the rest of the story there some other time. But it's an amazing story. But here's what I want us to see here. Is that not only did God recognize Jesus as the Son of God, but these demons who were filling these two men in the cemetery, these demons also recognized that Jesus was God's Son. Why do you think they recognized him? Why did they cry out when Jesus came? The disciples were going around. The disciples were ministering in the name of Jesus. Why did they get so fearful when Jesus came to them? Well, it's because he looked just like his dad. Jesus looked just like the father. He represented the father's interests. He did the father's work on the earth, and he looked just like his dad. Now, I want to take you to a third passage of Scripture Uh, This one is in the book of Galatians. And so if you want to go there in your Bibles, you're more than welcome to. I think this one will come up on the screen. Yep, it's there. Galatians chapter 4, a little further to the right in your Bibles if you want to follow along. The book of Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul a while after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and, and ascended into heaven. And the Apostle Paul is looking back on Jesus' life, and he says this in Galatians 4, starting at verse 4. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. 
God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. Okay, keep that word slaves in your head. We were slaves to the law, Paul says. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Isn't that amazing? We were born to be slaves, but Jesus came so that we could be adopted into God's family. And because we are his children, he goes on to say, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, some of you think that the word Abba is just the song of a, of a hair band from the 1970s and 80s, right? Uh, but that's a powerful, powerful word. It's an Aramaic word. It's the word that Jesus would have used. And, and, and uh, it, it was a word that in the Aramaic language, the, the vernacular of the day when Jesus was walking the earth just simply meant dad or papa or daddy. I always used to call my dad daddy. Sometimes I still do because it was just the name that my dad had when I was growing up. And what Paul is saying here is this. <coughs> God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out dad, God, father. That's, that's who he is to us if we've been adopted into his family. And then verse 7 says this. Now, you are no longer a what? Slave. You're no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. You are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now listen, this is great stuff. Galatians chapter 4, this is meaty stuff because what it's saying to us is that we were born into this world, this sinful nature. And, and like I said earlier, before the teaching time, many of us have felt like we've been so bad that God could never forgive us, right? What this is saying is we were born into that environment, slaves in this world, in this world slaves to the law, slave to sin, slave to corruption, but because of Jesus, we can now be adopted to be children of God. And not just children, we can be heirs and we will inherit everything God has, right? We will inherit everything God has. Do you understand what it means to be an heir? It's a cool thing. My mother is a collector. In fact, uh, it, it, it might be... Uh, a little bit of a stretch, but not much of a stretch to say my mother is a hoarder, okay? Now, if you've ever seen those hoarder shows on TV, you know, uh, hoarders are those people that generally they just, they never throw anything away and their, their houses just become full of garbage. Uh, that's not my mom. That's not what I mean. But my mom hangs on to stuff. My mom has uh, treasures and trinkets and things from generations of our family. And my mom is one of these people that if she gets two of any one kind of thing, then she's driven to own them all, right? So she has collections of little Victorian lady figurines, and she has collections of those little shoes that were popular a few years ago, and, and, and she's just got collections of things all over the house. It's all kinds of stuff. And a few years ago, she started thinking about the fact that she's getting older, and she's got two kids and three grandkids, and, and someday we're all going to inherit all this stuff, right? 
And so she started a list of everything she owns, and I'm not joking, it, it's hundreds and thousands of items, okay? And, and every child and grandchild has a list, and we all have a bunch of stuff on there, right? And so when my mom passes on and I get everything on my list, then I get to be a hoarder, okay? Because uh, I'll, I'll just inherit her hoard or part of her hoard, right? Uh, and this is what it means to be an heir. You inherit everything that belonged to your parent, right? What Paul is saying here is God has made you an heir. And everything that God has, his love and his goodness and his mercy, his creative ability, everything that he has, he is passing on to you. Is that good news or what? It's incredible. Now, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. When you're adopted into God's family, you will find this. Now, this might surprise you. When you're adopted into God's family, you are going to start looking like your dad. Capital D. When you're adopted into God's family, you're going to start looking like the father. That's part of what it means to be in his family. But here's what's cool. You see, we're adopted, but it's not like earthly people that when you're adopted into a family you can't change the way you look because God begins to change us and this is what I love about being adopted into God's family is he changes us from the inside out let me give you a few examples and these are you're in your notes you can write these down if you'd like number one here's one of the things that happens when you get adopted into God's family number one you start looking like your dad when you stop retaliating Hebrews 5 says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 5. He says, when you're adopted into the family, you're going to stop retaliating. My wife, Chris, uh, was raised in a family with three brothers and one sister. And she's kind of the middle child. And she grew up with all these boys knowing that she had to defend herself, okay? And that she had to learn how to fight back. And uh, from the earliest days of our relationship, one of the things I love to do to her is I'd love to take and, and just pinch that, that tender skin right here under your arm, you know? And, and I love to just pinch her right there and, and make it hurt because it's so hilarious. She just has this reflex that just goes, bam, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of like a game to me. You know, I pinch her and then try to dodge the fist, you know? And uh, for whatever reason, I, I think that's funny. She doesn't think it's funny, but I do. Uh, but it, all of us have that instinct, do we not, to retaliate? We're hurt, right? And so we punch back. That's just human nature. What Jesus says is that when we're adopted into God's family, God's going to change us and we're going to stop retaliating. We're going to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. It's part of what it means to be in the family of God. Here's number two. You look like your dad when you forgive. Again, the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you you. Have you been forgiven? Has Jesus washed your sins away? Then if you're in his family, then we're going to become people who start to forgive. 
I'm reading a book right now on forgiveness. It's a great book. In fact, I think probably sometime this fall, I'm going to do a, a teaching series on how to forgive. And uh, this book has a great definition of forgiveness. You could even write this down if you want to. Uh, forgiveness is letting someone off the hook. Isn't that a great definition? Forgiveness is letting somebody off the hook. It's different than retaliation. We can stop retaliating. We can choose to not respond to someone who's hurt us. But forgiveness takes it one step further. You see, we could choose not to retaliate but still wish that they get what's coming to them, right? I hope the cops catch that guy. I hope he rots in jail, whatever it is. You know, you hurt me, somebody someday is going to hurt you back. We, we just harbor that unforgiveness in our hearts, right? And when we forgive, what we're doing is we're letting somebody off the hook and no longer wishing bad things would come to them. That's what God did for us. And when we're adopted into his family, we start forgiving others as well. Here's number three. You look like your dad when you start to feel other people's pain. Jesus said this in Luke 6, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. This takes forgiveness even one step further, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, instead of wishing somebody to be punished, we start feeling the pain that maybe motivated them to do mean things in the first place. And, and, and these are things that Jesus said ought to be virtues in our lives if we've been adopted into God's family. But here's what I think is the most beautiful thing of all. When God adopts us as his children, he starts the transformation process. When God adopts us as children, he starts the transformation process process. Philippians 1.6 says something that I hang my hat on every day. And I don't think this is coming up on the screen. Oh, it is. It says this. Look at the screen and, and listen to these words. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Do you know how much hope that gives me? Because every time I fail, every time I don't measure up to what a son looks like in the family of God, I know that God is not finished with me yet. And I know that God started something in me many years ago. He started working on me. He started transforming me. And I know that he's not done with me. And he's not going to throw me away when I fail. Because he's going to finish it how long? Until the day when Jesus Christ returns. I'm not going to be a finished product until I'm in heaven with him. But he's not going to let me go until he's done with me. He's going to complete the work. Isn't that great? You guys are quiet this morning. I have to, I have to stir you up. I'll do it this way. Would you just read that verse with me? Uh, everybody out loud. And I am certain that God who began a good work in you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That's good news. 
Now let me say this to you. And I'm wrapping up here, and uh, Vic, if you want to come in the band. Can you imagine, can you imagine what our world would look like if all of us began to look like Abba Father? I'm told by people all the time I look just like my dad. What if people in the world looked at you and looked at me, looked all, at, at all of us, connectors, and they said, those connectors look just like their dad. They look just like Abba Father. And, and not just Connect Church. What if every Christian in the Gallatin Valley really looked like dad? And, and, and when people who didn't know Jesus was looking at Christian people, they would say, those people look like what I think Jesus looked. They act like Jesus acted. I see Abba Father in those people. They look just like their dad. Can you imagine how that would transform our community? Because right now, what do people say about Christians? They say Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, right? They, they just say they, they're all holier than thou. They're all preaching at everybody else, but they're not living it. Why do they say that? Because they've seen a lot of Christians that don't look like dad. And I believe that if we would let God begin to transform us so that we began to, began to think and, and, and act and, and feel the way Jesus does, and if we really began to look like our dad, we could turn this world upside down. We could change our community because that's what God does. And so I want to ask you this morning, who do you look like? Do you look like your dad? Is he transforming you? Is he working in you? Do you have a ways to go? Then would you join me in the journey of becoming more and more like him? Let's stand together. We'll pray in just a moment. But would you join Victoria in singing uh, this great song of worship to the Lord this morning?